and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 207. Today is Sunday the 7th of August 2016, and this interview is with Jenny Bigham, founder and owner of The Seven Stars, the largest independent media agency in the UK, with over £228 million in billings, and boasting clients such as Coral, Ancestry, Crocs, Gumtree and Virgin. Jenny Bigham has run The Seven Stars with an incredibly refreshing leadership style. I wanted to dig in and find out more about what happens under the hood. In this podcast, we look at some of the tips, policies, and practices that Jenny employs to run the Seven Stars. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset. That's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. So, Jenny Bingham, welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how would you describe your mindset, Jenny? Uh, so I'm Jenny Bigham. I'm one of the founders here at uh, independent media agency, The Seven Stars, based in London. Um, we um, plan and buy media on behalf of a number of different advertisers. Uh, my mindset um, is uh, positive, energetic. Um, we work in a very, very fast-moving uh, business here, so it's always exciting um, but a little bit exhausting. Naturally. Well, we're just about to go into holiday time, I hope. So, Jenny, you, you began Seven Stars um, how many years ago? Uh, 2005, we launched the agency. And it's amazing. So in the space of 11 years, you've become the most successful and largest independent media agency in the whole UK. To what do you just ascribe that success? Um, I think our success is, I mean, for, first and foremost, it's, um, you know, media is very much a talent game. So it's about our ability to recruit a great team, our ability to put people first, to give people a, a you know, career here where they can really learn, develop, be motivated, uh, enjoy themselves. Um, you know, we have an attitude together where we're one team, uh, we have one common purpose in the same direction. And we always put the clients at first and foremost. All right. So I was having a, a long discussion with an old, uh, old chum media guy, or sorry, an agency chap. And um, the discussion led us to say, well, actually, agencies are hard to differentiate between them. This would be the perspective of brand people. And we look at all these big agencies. And, and to be honest, and as you know, I worked at L'Oreal. There is a, a very similar type of feeling beyond the fact that they overall look the same. They, the, all the people switch in and out. So you end up with a very diluted brand for a company that's actually working on brands. So how would you describe the brand that you have created over the last 11 years? So I think our brand is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very personal brand. So it's very personality driven. Um, you know, it's very much built around um, the individuals. Um, people here kind of behave in a certain way. So even clients that kind of walk in the door, they feel an energy about the place. They feel uh, a level of passion that they tell me they don't feel elsewhere. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think um, we're, we're very, I, I totally take your point that a lot of media agencies are diff difficult to differentiate between. Um, we're a bit of a, a, you know, either a one extreme, an Osball company, and another one, we're kind of breath of fresh air in, in quite a commoditized market. So, yeah, go ahead. 
Mm. Uh, so, so when the way the reason I came across you, Jenny, was in a, in a, a newspaper article. It was an astonishing newspaper article for me, because you are, are really leading this with a sort of a, a very evolved leadership principles. So, what I'd like you to do is first of all describe what those are, as, as I saw them in the newspaper, and then we're going to get into how you came about implementing that. So, tell us how you consider or describe your evolved leadership principles. Okay, well, ultimately, we the way that we treat people here is very much that they're treated as individuals from day one. So um, we avoid, uh, you know, a very hierarchical process. Um, we don't even give people at any level a job title. <laughs> so when people come in, they understand the technical job that they have to do. Um, but equally, they're told, you know, you're here to help build a business. You're here to help be part of the seven stars. And you're here... Um, so that your ideas and your initiatives can help shape our future. Um, so that, you know, for me, if you call somebody a, you know, a media buyer, they believe rightly that they're there to buy media. And then when they've done that, they go uh-huh. home. You know, if you call somebody Dan, because you know, his name is Dan, then he's here, he understands that he's here to be Dan. He's here to, you know, to, um, to, to really be the best that he can be. So we're not about measuring... Um, you know, kind of time or uh, employee churn or any of the kind of typical HR kind of things that, that people would normally measure. We're actually here to help build people's careers. And what we've done is we've kind of put that as a reason for the company to exist. So we don't just exist to plan and buy media. We, we exist to give people interesting and diverse careers. So at the end of the day, you have, uh, of course, a, an orientation towards your customer but you would put equal weight on the orientation uh, towards your employees. Yeah, I mean, I think the two things are really um, linked. So we worked last year with over 100 different advertisers here, um, you know, some bigger than others. And by definition, you know, I can't be in every client meeting. Um, client wouldn't want me to be in every meeting. Um, so for me, I think my role is very much about, you know, being a, you know, being a, the agency being a good um, magnet for talent, uh, so we can attract you know better people, um, and then being a good motivator for that talent when they're here. Um, and I think the what the client ends up with is a team that's committed, passionate, dedicated, having a good time, enjoying themselves, leaning forward, you know, just interested in 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 what they're doing and, and what they're achieving. So you began this company 11 years ago, and today you are no, you're the biggest and, and independent company, and you're also known for having this, these, these very wild, uh, or at least anti-establishment type of ideas, such as, you know, you don't need to tell me when you're on holiday, go on holiday as you wish. The, 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 for a lot of people, this would sound completely crazy. To what extent you've got these ideas that you put in place? Maybe you can elaborate on a few more so you're not just talking about that particular one that's sort of the obviously identifiable one. How did you put these in place? Did you come into this whole idea with your with your co-founder saying, all right, you guys, this is how we're going to do it? Or how did it evolve into what you have today? Uh, a little bit of both. So um, we came in and certainly I have some really uh, strong ideas about how you know we as an uh, independent agency could offer people a different type of career and different style of way of working um, than they would necessarily get at a big corporate agency. Um, So part of it was in order to attract the best talent 
And in order to behave in a different way, we needed to be different. So some of it was kind of quite thought through in terms of giving people more autonomy, um, in terms of uh, giving people more um, uh, rounded job specs so that people are involved in more than one single discipline, not being too siloed, all of that type of thing. So the structure really was well thought through. Um, some things just happen very organically. So as you mentioned, we, we, we're quite famous now that we don't fill in holiday forms. Um, that's something that literally happened when there were three people in an office looking at each other thinking, do we need holiday forms? No, we don't need to do we're that. Adults. We'll each other when we're away. Mm-hmm. And then as we grew bigger, we wanted that feeling just to, not just to apply to the founders, but for that, to, you know, for that feeling of liberation and personal responsibility to apply to everyone that worked here. So as we got to employee number seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, we said to them, don't worry about your holiday, you take as much or as little as you want. And now we're kind of, you know, 150 people and we've still never had a holiday form here. So in the end of the day, as you said before, just before we started speaking, you're more about people than process. Yet as you scale, there's an inevitable sort of need or it feels like a need for process around that kind of a thing. So do you, have you had to impose some kind of processes or do you still just sort of leave it as very open? How do you do that? We leave it as very open. Um, you're really right that as we've got bigger, it's become harder. Um, I mean, one of the things that we do here again that we do um, purely because I think it's a, it gives us an advantage is we just communicate really openly with everybody. So everyone sees the business plan. Everyone knows the profit target. Everyone knows how much money we make at the end of the year. Uh, we have a profit share bonus that's literally shared equally by person. So everyone gets the same amount of cash. Everyone, doesn't matter if you're the receptionist or running a huge client team, you've helped to make that profit by going the extra mile. So they all share in that. Um, you know, as we've got bigger, that's become harder. Um, but we still do it. We still manage to get 150 people in a room every Wednesday morning. And we just talk about what we're working on. We talk about, you know, what new business we might be going for. We talk about what campaigns we're working on, what we're planning, funny stories. We talk about people updates, the finance team updates. So um, it's just about keeping that open culture and keeping that thing where we're one team. We're all moving in the same direction. All right. So you're not the only company that has that idea in place, uh, but clearly it's, it's working for you very successfully. What are the kinds of keys to success in making that kind of a, pro, a kind of an ambiance, I don't want to avoid the word process, the kind of ambiance for this to work? Um, I think it comes from uh, the, I think it comes from kind of the top of the company. So I think um, you have to have, you know, the senior guys have to be really, really committed to um, having the, you know, these, yeah, as you say, trying to avoid the word process, right. having these disciplines, if you like, in place. Um, and I think it also comes from, you know, the, um, the thing about really, really listening to the team and letting the team's ideas shape the company. Um, so we do a lot of things here that I would either never have thought of or maybe didn't agree with to start off with. Um, and that's because that's come from an initiative somewhere else in the company and somebody's had a bright idea and other people have liked it and we've gone, yeah, let's go with it. Because ultimately, you know, it's not this company isn't for me to enjoy coming into work every day. We've got 150 people here and they work, you know, every they work as long hours as I do. They're here every day the same way I am. So it's got to work for everyone. It can't just work for, for me and the, the kind of senior guys. So if holidays are for everyone to take as they see fit, 
how about remuneration? Uh, so remuner we, we give people complete transparency on everything except for remuneration. So people will know the bonus schemes are flat, so everyone knows that anyway. Uh, the amount of money the company makes is you know, public because we're a private limited company, so we can share that information with people. Um, everything else is completely open internally. The only piece of information we don't share, um, that's because people don't want us to, is salary information. In order for something like this to work, in my experience or my observation would be, because I haven't ever worked for a company like that, is the ability to have clear objectives. Is that something that you believe in and therefore how, and how do you make sure that happens across the board? Yeah, absolutely. I believe in clear objectives. Um, I also believe in being really single-minded about your objectives. So we have, for example, we have one single um, P&L. So our, um, the team that work here, uh, their objectives will be about um, customer satisfaction, about clients being happy with the work they're doing, about the feedback that we get from their clients and their team. Um, you know, nobody else worries about the numbers, so nobody else has got a revenue target. Um, by doing that, you take away the politics of people fighting over whose revenue that's going to count for. Um, but you also take away the pressure on selling things to clients that they don't want um, or need. Um, so if people don't have a revenue target, they're actually recruited to be great at customer insight or media strategy or data or digital or search or whatever it might be. It's not about fighting for clients' budgets. It's not about selling to clients. It's actually about doing a great job. Um, and then, you know, the, the top line finances will look after themselves. So it's about having a, a single goal, being one team all moving in the same direction. Over the last 11 years, have you had any wobbles with regard to this process? I mean, surely, you you know, you lose a client or something like that. And that has that ever made you say, uh-oh, maybe we need to adjust? No, I think for us, uh, the biggest thing is getting recruitment right. So you can either recruit people who will absolutely, there's three types of people I think, there's people who will absolutely thrive in the kind of environment that we have, uh, which obviously the people we look for. Uh, there's people who could take advantage of it. So you could easily say that sounds like a very soft, um, you know, a soft environment and I can be a bit of a passenger there and take lots of holiday and nobody will really be checking up on my work. Um, and, you know, equally, there's people that just, you know, can't cope with it. So there's people who think they like the sound of it. When they arrive, they're a bit like, this is too weird for me. I'm used to somebody checking my work. I'm used to somebody checking me in and out every day. So we need to be really careful that we recruit the right type of person. Um, and when we make mistakes in recruiting people, which inevitably we do occasionally, we need to be really quick to act on that. We were talking a little bit beforehand in this recruitment, or at least in the, in the way you set up your company, about this notion of values. And, and um, you had mentioned that you were against the idea of writing them. Because, if you, have, you, know, you know, and I believe in some regard, if you have to write them, it's because you don't have them. That's often the case, you know, integrity, you know, whatever. Uh, but you uh, came across that uh, in a confrontation of ideas with a co-partner, and you ended up writing them. What were the, how did you make these values successful? Because, I mean, you know, everyone's got these different, there's 72 different values that we're choosing from. There's a limited, or some, some number like that. There's a limited number of words, but how do you make yours real? So, yeah, I mean, I totally know where you're coming from on this because I came from the view of that's what a big corporate would need to do. We don't need to write our values yeah. down. Everyone knows what we stand for. Um, and, you know, one of the guys here, completely argued the case that either it would be better if we had values um, 
And my uh, response to him was, okay, if you think it's such a great idea, you go and do it, you write them, you create them, I don't want anything to do with it, I'll back you, but you know, that's it. Um, he wrote us a set of company values, um, and it's made a huge difference to us. It's made a huge difference to um, recruiting the right people, it's made it quicker to explain to clients, this is, this is who we are. Um, you know, we then have kind of like themed weeks around the values to make them really live and breathe properly within the organization, which are really a lot of fun. Um, so it's been a great, you know, it was a great initiative and it's one of the best things we've done. Um, but it comes back to, it wouldn't have been my choice. It wouldn't have been my idea. It wouldn't have been anything that I would have ever imposed. Um, somebody else had an idea and, you know, I let them run with it. And um, I think, it, you know, it's, it's really, really worked for us. So outside of having the delegation and the confidence in your teammates, what makes for creating good values? I mean, because everybody, the intention is always good. I mean, ideally, anyway. And the words are always lovely. What is it that you think has made these values for you work? And, and maybe in terms of lessons for others, in terms of their creating values? So I think what makes values work is not necessarily, as you say, the, the, what you write on, on the piece of paper, because as you say, everybody will say, one of our values is teamwork. Well, what company is going to say one of our values is not selfishness? So you would never, yeah, exactly. You would never have that. So the, um, so it, you know, it can be a little bit, um, you know, try to, to write down some of what you stand for. What we found has been brilliant is that um, we have created a way to live, let the values live within the company and that way of doing it, we, we, we've themed around themed weeks around the values. So one of our values is be an entrepreneur. That's all about people having ideas and initiatives that help shape the company uh, so that people understand they're here to help to shape the company, not just to do a functional job. Um, and in order for people to understand what being an entrepreneur, what we, what be an entrepreneur means uh, we got the whole company, we divided them into different uh, project teams, we um, gave them all like £100, we said whoever comes back with the most money at the end of the week is going to be, you know, be the entrepreneurial king or queen. We teamed that up with um, a whole initiative around um, how we as an agency could help other entrepreneurial startup companies. So we put an ad in the paper, we literally said if you, if you want help with your company, come in, we'll give you advice. We um, had talks from inspiring entrepreneurs who came in and did, you know, twice a day we had different sessions with different entrepreneurs. So all of that kind of thing. So, you know, that's just one example. And then we've done similar themed weeks around our other values. Um, but those themed weeks is what really makes them different because people remember them, they get what they stand for, you know, they become part of, of what we want and what, how people behave. They sort of become lived. Yeah. So... Uh, Jenny, I mean, clearly you have a, a large and beautiful background in an agency. You create a business. Uh, and let's say that in the conversations that I've had with multiple people in many adult agencies, my distinct impression is that the agency business is in crisis. Do you agree? What's your take? Um, I don't think so. I think people like to say it's in crisis. I think it's definitely in transition. So technology has changed um, how we... Uh, how we behave in a way that we would never have imagined even when we set up 11 years ago. So, um, you know, things like we, you know, we recruit a different type of person here with different skill sets. We do different, get involved in different types of work for our advertisers. 
Um, but you know, we're you know ultimately we are a media agency at heart. Um, we have to adapt, and we have to adapt really quickly. So I don't believe that as a as an industry we're in crisis, but I do believe we're constantly evolving and we're in transition. Let's say I, you know, for the, my experience, brands are, are trying to uh, get more engagement with their customers, get more social, and all this, and so they get the they get the agency to do it. So that well, because they probably don't know how to do it themselves. To what extent has this changed how you have to function internally? And things I'm thinking of are: to what extent do you need for your own company to exercise the same things you're preaching and advising? to your customers for yourself and second secondly how does that change the way you are internally in other words i want to have my own twitter handle i want to you know get on facebook for myself how do you manage that process so um we think that so to answer your first question first um i think um you know, what's, what's fundamentally changed is the nature of the brief that we'll get now from an advertiser. So it's moved from what was a relatively simple role of, you know, choosing between different existing media channels through to thinking about everything that their client has in terms of their own, um, you know, we have this kind of paid, owned, earned um, thing that people talk about, which is a way of thinking about, you know, clients' collateral, thinking about their own website, their own social media channels, right. their own stores, their own staff, whatever it might be. And I think increasingly, um, you know, communications ideas have to be able to live across all those different channels. And, you know, it requires people, it requires a much smarter type of person to be able to come across, come up with those um, communications ideas. And equally, from an agency perspective, it requires a lot more specialisms um, within the agency. So, you know, the people who do SEO are going to be very different to the people who do paid social. It's all, you know, different disciplines. So we have had to introduce um, lots and lots of different um, specialist teams into the agency. And that in itself, you know, lends itself to how we're structured, type of people we need, what type of people advertisers will need in the future. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, as an agency, you have to absolutely practice what you preach. You know, I can't imagine any advertiser going to talk to a media agency that didn't have a well-populated Twitter feed and, you know, wasn't, a, you know, wasn't on every single social media platform and, you know, being, being able to, you know, have an up-to-date website and things like that. You know, we, we can't get away with that anymore. Well, and yet... I would argue that many are still <laughs> still not there. What about um, the allowance for your team? So 130 people, do you promote their own personal reputations online? Is, is that active or is that sort of implicit? How do you work that? That's, I mean, to be honest with you, we, that's one of the many things that we would leave up to the individual. So we wouldn't really impose any strict rules on that um, in terms of, you know, what they're what their social media presence looks like. Um, we would just, you know, we, we give individuals here, as you're probably gathering, a lot of autonomy. So I think it'd be a bit weird if we also said to them, we want to check your LinkedIn page and we want to see what you're tweeting about and why did you post that on Facebook? So, you know, with, with a, a very few exceptions, we wouldn't really get involved in that. We would leave that up to the individual to be responsible for themselves. On an ongoing basis, how about, within the recruitment process itself? Is that ever on your page to check out whether that person is or it comes in with a good YouTube presence or a good this and that? 
I don't really stalk people on social media before they, they before they start working here. Different ones they're here, I might start stalking them, but I wouldn't really do that. I don't. I, don't, I never really am sure about the ethics of that. It feels a little bit nosy to me to be kind of looking at you know what people are doing online before you um, recruit them. We have to trust our recruitment skills and our ability to you know to to um, sift out good people. Totally hear you. You mentioned the creative component, and of course, in the agency world. Great content relies on or needs great creative. And creatives are a different type of profile, different type of beast to manage. On the one hand, we, you know, everything we need to do has to be measurable. You know, all the marketing, you're looking for this effectiveness. And yet you have also have to have this creativity flair. How do you try and reconcile these both these sides, the sort of extreme creative and extreme effectiveness that customers, you know, say, I want, huh? Um, I think, I mean, I think for a media agency, that um, is almost uh, more complex in that media agencies really grew from uh, commercial side. So effectively, our initial role was to buy media as cheaply as we could. Sure. So um, you've almost got, you've almost got three rather than two. So you've, yeah, you've got the, you know, one extent, you've got the kind of data and, and, and tech people. Another extent, you've got the creative, um, you know, kind of, uh, jazz hands kind of people and at the other side of the thing you've actually got to have a really really sound commercial and you know people who are very very well trained at negotiating with media owners because that's still a really important part of what we do very often overlooked part of what we do um, but really important that you know you do that, you know you're not just going to get the best rates because the media vendors like you and get on with you you have to you know actually have serious kind of you know procurement and negotiation training and and a, you know, good team in, in that element. Um, how that team all gets on together, uh, I agree with you. That can be a challenge, right? Because you're recruiting very different types of people with de- very different, um, very different job specs. Um, you know, I would just go back to our thing. Is you know, it's about autonomy. It's about the data team wants to behave in one way, and there's another team behaving in a different way. You've got to let that happen. You know, you can't say no. Sorry, these are the rules by which we all work here. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing is just making sure that you always behave as one company with one set of goals. You know, our whole our goal is to grow our business, um, you know, and to beat our competitors. And I think, you know, as long as you make that very, very clear, there's no internal competition. There's no internal revenue targets. Nobody's got competing objectives. Uh, we're all here to grow a business and to build a business. Um, and where you have that, you can actually engender teamwork. I suppose it's more like a sports team, right? So, you know, goalkeeper plays a different role to a striker. Um, and that's, but they, you know, they're one team and they've got one objective to win the game. And they definitely do have different types of mindsets and, and uh, you know, objectives and styles of working. So I, I get that. What are, you know, there's obviously on the one hand, there's the creation of content, great, a great creative and then there's a the distribution side. And then finally, as you were mentioning before, there's a sort of the price which you pay for the distribution. But so those are three different types of talents put in together. And is that something that you are, I mean, really consciously working on? Or, or do you have, do you, are you more focused on the content creativity or is distribution equally important? Or how do you play the value or the proportions and priorities within that? Yeah, I think across, uh, across the whole agency, um, I don't think we really prioritise in quite that way. So, um, you know, so, some advertisers will come to us for certain um, services that we offer and others will come to us for different things. 
So I think what we what we try and do is kind of create um, client teams that are quite individual and based around that client's need. Um, so some clients will be very very heavy into our digital offering, our tech offering, our search offering, um, you know, programmatic media, etc. And other advertisers will come to us because you know they want somebody that can go and get their TV campaign live in a week kind of thing. So we need to, you know, we just need to be flexible enough to work with different type of advertisers, and, and we have different. I suppose we have different team structures built around different advertisers. Yeah, so projects kind of place. In in this, uh, you mentioned the word or the notion of the brief. Uh, the brief was reasonably simple before. Get me some eyeballs and make conversions on on television, maybe. How do you how do you advise customers to write good briefs today? What makes for a good brief? Well, I think the brief that the the brief that client writes is less important than the working relationship that we have with that client. So, you know, you you can fill in a briefing form in you know pretty simplistic way. Um, but it's much more about you know how uh, how much that client will be open to ideas, how much um, you know the, there's a there's a kind of access of clients having lots of control over an agency and not allowing a lot of creativity versus you know giving the agency too much control and, and too much creativity and it's about it's really about getting that balance right um, you know and I think. Any agency can come up with amazing ideas for any brand, right? That is not the hard bit. The hard bit is finding a, a, an advertiser that wants to go with your ideas and that, that trusts you and you have that kind of relation relationship where the advertiser trusts you. you you've probably worked together for a while and you really understand that client's business um, and that's when you can start to really make the kind of magic happen. Yeah, whether whether you can, they can stomach the risk, stomach the, the unknown. Yeah, you, you you really need a brave client. I mean, most agencies have got kind of like cupboards full of, you know, ideas that never saw the light of day. Um, and you do just sometimes, you just need a brave client that kind of goes, yeah, I get it, I buy it, I know what you're trying to do, I think it's going to work, let's go with it. Well, so we live in, in very busy, fr- frenetic, changing times. How does Jenny Bigham stay up uh, with what's happening? Um, yeah, it's interesting actually because I don't, I, I, you know, I do, you know, what everybody, every profession would do. I'll go to the conferences. I'll read the, you know, online. I'll read the trade. So I'll, you know, follow people on Twitter and things like that. Um, I genuinely think uh, you learn more from meeting people. So I genuinely think I learn more from, you know, a quick half hour with whoever it might be with Facebook or with, you know, Channel Four. Or maybe it's, you know, doing an interview for a new grad intake and I can start, you know, asking the grads about, well, are you using ad blockers? Why do you use an ad blocker? All, all that kind of thing. You just get your head around the issues so much better um, by, you know, trying to do face-to-face meetings. So I really kind of try and force myself to take the opportunities to, you know, to meet people face-to-face and, and to get under the skin of, of what they're saying. My, my personal motto or credo in this regard is actually to try it myself. So whenever there's something new, I download it and I go out there and I do my Pokemon Go. How are you getting on with that? Uh, I'm level seven. I'm getting there. <laughs> You're ahead of me then. Yeah. So, but you know, it's it's that that ability to open it up, figure it out, feel like an idiot, you know, wobble through, and then slowly get the idea of what's happening and why it's so titillating. And then, because if you don't do that, reading it in Newsweek or whatever is just not going to make it happen. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And that's, again, why, you know, we, we, you know, if you walk past a screen here and somebody's on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, it's kind of, well, that's part of their job. You, you can't stay why aren't they doing any work. That's part of their job to, to learn about stuff, to read stuff, to explore stuff. Jenny Bingham, it's been a pleasure to have you on board. I love uh, hearing how you're doing this. Your energy is a great thing. People who can't see you, see you wouldn't miss your beautiful smile as well. <laughs> What's the best way to connect with you or, or follow you? What would you? How would you like people to uh, go from this interview to you? <laughs> I was going to say the best way to connect with me is normally in the pub, but I ah! <laughs> I mean by social channels. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't tweet. I tweet more from the Seven Spells account than from my own, actually. So uh, we're on our Twitter handles, um, at, you know, at the Seven Stars. Um, I'm at Jenny Bigham, very imaginatively on Twitter. Um, our website is uh, Um and then we're on all the other channels that you'd expect: Instagram, and LinkedIn, and, and and YouTube, and all the rest of it. As usual, all those links will be in the show notes for those regular listeners. It's been a pleasure having you on board, Jenny. Good luck and look, look forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, you too. Lovely to meet you. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
with all your favorite shades, and we paint it with our fingers to show the world the way we feel. Oh, oh, the way I feel. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, "Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway." Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.